welcome back to another episode of Podcast Royal. I'm Jessica. And I'm Rachel. And Rachel, you know, I think if you are sitting here with me right now, you wouldn't know if you were in Birmingham, Alabama or Birmingham, England, because we are having... We're having very British weather. It is in the 40s and 100% chance of rain tonight. (laughs) Oh, wow. I think it rained today. I wouldn't know because I haven't left the house today, which is not healthy. But let me look at our weather. Hold on one second. Um, Of course, it's taking a minute. I know it rained today. It's 57 at the moment. And listeners, we are recording just to timestamp the episode. We're recording. Jessica's being very gracious and recording with me on Monday night instead of Tuesday like we normally do because of a scheduling conflict I have tomorrow. So if we happen to miss some major news item that happens tomorrow, Tuesday, that's why. But yeah, it's it's rainy here and it's going to be rainy tomorrow, but it's not cold. And that's the those are the perks of living in Florida. It doesn't really ever get cold. And then in the summer, it like is so hot. So I hear I haven't had a summer here yet, but anyway. That weather that you have up in Birmingham, and I will be back in Birmingham soon, and we're having dinner because your birthday's coming up, but that weather just sounds like make a fire, get a book or a good show, and just relax. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a listener email to share, so why don't we go ahead and jump in and you can do that. Yeah, that sounds good. So I love getting emails as just or DMs or whatever kind of communication you send. As Jessica said last episode, I want to share this lovely listener email that we received from Sandy. She writes, this is my first time contacting you, but I've been a longtime listener. I look forward to each episode. I love how you cover the royals around the world as well as the British royals. I love the British royals, us too. Uh, Princess Catherine is my favorite, but I enjoy Duchess Sophie as well. Queen Camilla has won my heart too. You don't cover the Belgian royals much. I'll comment on that in a second. They are such a nice family and do a lot. Again, I enjoy listening to you as you share thoughts and insights. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Sandy. So we don't share a lot about Belgium because they, they're pretty under the radar. Like they, whenever they do something that you know makes the headlines, we always, I know, Jessica, you reported on them. Um, there was some kind of like, an, not an assassination, but some kind of like, terror. like a terrorist attack. Yeah. Yeah. And so whenever, whenever they're in the news, we definitely... We'll report on them. We love Matilde and we love Elizabeth. And so, yeah, but thank you for your email. We love to receive them and always open to hearing great things and constructive criticism. So keep them coming listeners. And we always tell you how to get in touch with us at the end of each episode. Yes. Thank you for that email. So Rachel, we have another bit of British today. Awesome. Love bit of British. So today is going to be fun, but I Personally, I think that they're all fun, yeah, <laughs> um, but too. hopefully hopefully, listeners will agree. So it may be no surprise to you, but today's uh, Bit of British is another food-focused topic. Love it. I thought it's about time we talk about Cadbury chocolate. What do you uh, think? We talked about Cadbury like for five seconds in the Royal Warrant segment last week, but- Yes, yeah. we did. And I'm going to mention that again today. So- yes. You know, any Anglophile who is also a chocolate lover has to know Cadbury and be familiar with Cadbury. And if you have never had Cadbury chocolate before, it's got a really unique flavor, I think, that makes it stand out from a lot of other big name chocolate brands. So we'll do like a little bit of history and then we'll we'll share the facts in the form of a quiz. So Rachel, just go ahead and get I ready. Getting quiz Cadbury <laughs> chocolate. Okay. You're getting quiz. Yes. 
<laughs> but first, let's go ahead and look at the history of Cadbury here. And I want to give a little bit of credit to delish.com for providing me with all the fun facts in today's bit of British segment. So did you know Cadbury dates back to 1824 England when a man named John Cadbury opened a grocery store in Birmingham where he started making and selling drinking chocolate. Mm, okay. So something that might surprise you is he actually, the first time he was selling this, marketed it as a health drink and he would sell it with lentils and barley mixed into his drinking chocolate. Mm. Kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that would taste like. Not, not sure I'm into that, but okay. So fast forward 17 years, and he was basically running a factory making several varieties of drinking chocolate, and he realized that he was having a lot of leftover cocoa butter on his hands after he would make his cocoa, and that's where he got the idea to start making Cadbury dairy milk. Mm. So a few years later, Cadbury actually received a royal warrant from Queen Victoria in 1855. So there's your royal warrant fact. Um, And they received this warrant to supply chocolate and cocoa to the queen. And like you said, Cadbury still has a royal warrant today. So they do because who's taking Cadbury off the list? No one. Right. It is a well-loved chocolate, chocolate brand. But speaking of chocolate and people who love chocolate um you know valentine's day is just a little over a month away and did you know cadbury was the first brand to make and sell heart-shaped chocolate boxes for valentine's day no i didn't that's interesting So this romantic idea was born in 1861, and Cadbury started selling heart-shaped boxes with festive little cupids and roses on them, and the plan was to provide this pretty box that the recipient could enjoy their chocolates from, and then they could keep the box and store special trinkets or other small items in the box later on. So really cool that our chocolate boxes come from Cadbury. All things coming. I, I, okay. I want, it's not even close to Easter, but do you love Cadbury eggs? I'm sure you do. Everybody loves Cadbury eggs. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, we'll have to make that a priority. Uh, this All Easter, right. That's a ways away. Are you ready for your quiz? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know that much about Cad. We'll, we'll see. Can you guess how many bars of Cadbury dairy milk are sold each day? Each day? How many bars? Mm-hmm. Oh man, worldwide. Mm-hmm. A million. More than 350 million. 350 million. It's a lot of chocolate. That's a and lot of chocolate. That's um that I love I love chocolate, but it's a lot of chocolate. My gosh. Okay, so can you guess which popular book was inspired by Cadbury chocolate? Oh man. Can you give me a hint? Movies have been made after this book. Movies have been made after it. Willy Wonka. (laughs) It was Raw Doll's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. So fun fact, Raw Doll, when he was in school, Cadbury would send samples of their chocolate to his school for the children to taste test and they could share their feedback on it. And that's where he imagined this idea of the chocolate factory and people, you know, in the back, creating these secret types of chocolate. And and that idea kind of grew and turned into his book. That's really interesting. And I only thought of Wonka, which I've never seen either version. I know, I know there's, there's like, I love the movies and I see a lot of movies, but there's randomly some really classic movies that I've never seen, including 
Willy Wonka, but I knew that because I've been writing about Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner making out at the Golden Globes all day. So that's what's on the <laughs> brain right now. Anyway. Well, I have to say my favorite is the Gene Wilder version. If you ever watch it, that one is the best. I, there's a list that, and I need to add it to that list of, of movies that I need to see that are like classics like that. All right. Next question. When was the Cadbury cream egg born? Ooh, I, and by the way, listeners, I have absolutely no idea. There was no, like, we don't prep <laughs> no. these things. I have no clue. Um, yeah, I don't like have a random, like, <laughs> about Cadbury in my brain. Um, I can barely remember my name most days. Um, okay. Cadbury cream egg 1901. Why not? Okay. So it was actually first created in 1923, okay. but it didn't actually hit store shelves until 1971. Why? Well, almost 50 years later. I don't years. know. Why? I don't know. Huh. Mystery. Interesting. Okay. So last thing I have to know, Rachel, do you have a favorite Cadbury bar? Well, I do the eggs count. Sure. Those are, that's, I think that's honestly the only Cadbury I've ever had, which maybe okay. is a problem, but the eggs are my, are my entree point in the Cadbury. My favorite has always been the crunchy bar. So when I was little, if, you know, my grandparents went to England, they would, they would bring us back Cadbury bars, you know, chocolate in their, in their suitcase. And they would always bring me back the crunchy, but um, my mom has always really liked the flake bars. So I don't know if you're familiar, but the crunchy is basically like a honeycomb covered in chocolate. Mm. Um, and the flake is like it says, a very flaky bar of chocolate. Um, so fun fact, last fun fact, flakes are one of the more famous Cadbury bars, but they were actually created by accident. So the factory had these chocolate molds where they would pour the chocolate into the mold to make different bars. And at the end of the day, leftover chocolate that had kind of oozed out of the mold dried into these ribbon looking shapes that kind of looked like little flakes of chocolate. Mm -hmm. And one of the workers got the idea to package the flaked bars of chocolate and they debuted on the shelf in 1920. So there you go. There you go. This is more than about Cadbury than I ever expected to know, but that's why I love this segment. <laughs> well, that's your bit of British today. So Ooh. why don't we go ahead and hop into Royal Rundown with that? that? Is, okay. Now <laughs> that's interesting. And now I'm like, have I, I, the answer is yes. Have I been missing out since I've only ever had Cadbury eggs? Wow. Yes. Need to, rectify, need to rectify that. <laughs> okay. Well, as we kick off the episode or the Royal Rundown, rather, first and foremost, happy 42nd birthday this week to the Princess of Wales. Her birthday is on Tuesday the 9th. So I, I'm about to ask you a question that I don't even know the answer for myself. What was your favorite Kate moment from her 41st year? Hmm. Okay. So I feel like it's always tough to pick one favorite moment from an entire year. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Catherine had a lot of standout fashion moments this year, and we've gone in length about those and other episodes, but I think as far as just a standout moment in general, I'm going to, I'm going to say two. So the more obvious one, I think it's probably her role at the coronation. I mean, this was yeah. such a big event. All of us royal watchers were anticipating it, and I think she and William both had big roles leading up to the coronation. We saw them out and about representing the monarchy and meeting with the public, um, and I think I think she did a great job and had a really big role, so that stands out for me. The other one is not really one moment, 
but it's more seeing her personality this year as a wife, a mom, and a human being. I mean, we got to hear her speak candidly with the Royal Family on Mike Tyndall's podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Rugby. Mm -hmm. And we saw several moments where she and William just, you know, displayed some affection with each other. And then we really saw her shine with her children at a lot of events this year. Mm -hmm. And and I'm thinking back to the family at the Together at Christmas Carol concert and seeing her even um, leading up to the coronation at engagements with the children that week. And then also volunteering last month at a baby bank with the three kids. So um, those are what stand out to me. What about you? Okay, well, mine is not nearly as well thought out as yours, but the t- I'd say the top three moments that just spring to mind immediately. And look, Kate has not had the best year of her life. I mean, obviously the end game accusations and lots of other things. Um, it has probably not been the easiest year for her in, her in her life, but it's also been a historic and monumental year. And there's been some really good pockets too. So obviously the coronation and her and that Alexander McQueen headpiece, and that was beautiful and we'll never the next time there's a coronation if there even is if William even has one she'll be queen so that and then I would also say of course the together at Christmas carol concert always is a standout for her but I also want to note and this kind of we talked about it on the show but it mostly flew under the radar the shaping uh first of all she created shaping us this year the shaping us symposium I think that was in November It was when she wore that purple pantsuit and gave the speech. Mm -hmm. And I just remember when Kate entered the Royal family, she hated giving speeches. She was not as confident as she is today. And just the, the thought that she could command a room so flawlessly start this initiative, like shaping us back in 2011, 2012, that seemed a long way off. She's really come into her own. I think that of all of the years her 41st she's owning her power and so while it's been a rough year it's also been a year of empowerment for her and so we just wish you the happiest of birthdays princess of Wales yeah I I love going back and thinking about all of those moments and you brought up some good some good points I think I mean you know you said it's not the best year for her but I mean look I think she's had a lot of standout moments oh yeah Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy, happy birthday. And to many more. And so I'm going to throw a couple of really quick notes in here. So first of all, um, again, we're recording this on Monday. Last night was the golden globes. Elizabeth Debicki of the crown won best supporting actress last night. She of course played princess Diana. I kept waiting for her to thank Diana in her speech, but alas, she did not. And then the Wales kids are going back to school this week. So expect to see more William and Kate. That's probably why they've been a bit quiet as the new year has started off. Finally, the day that we're recording this once again, Monday, Camilla's podcast is out and I listened to the first episode. Is that on your podcast list yet? Cause it was actually quite good. It's not a lot of Camilla though, but, um, have you listened yet? I have not listened yet. I did see it on Apple Podcasts and I did see on the Instagram account for the podcast that it's available across all platforms. So they're really trying to make it available for people. Great job to the Queen's Reading Room for that. And I did notice the first episode is just 25 minutes long, which is Mm -hmm. appealing to me personally because I'm not a big book nerd. So I really don't know if I'll listen to every episode but I know I can commit to the trailer and episode one for now. And, I, and I'll and i probably drop in and listen when I see one that looks interesting. But I want to know what you thought of it. Yeah, well, it was good. So I'm not familiar with this particular author. So but but regardless, 
it was interesting to listen to his perspective. As I said, Camilla is not in most of the episode. I think that to call, she's a co-host, I guess, but she, it's really, it's really, she comes in at the end. She has a cool, cute anecdote about Harry Potter at the end. I think she's comes in in like the last five, definitely the last five minutes, maybe last three minutes. And she recommends a book. And if my memory serves, that was like literally this afternoon. I can't even hardly remember, but it was good. And I can't wait for more episodes. I know they're going to have a couple of authors that I do know. And even though I did not know this gentleman whose name I can't call because my brain is so full, it was a great episode and I will, I've subscribed and I will continue to listen. Well, good. Um, Yeah. Podcasting world, your majesty. I'll add it to my lineup for this week for sure. Yes. Yes, you should. Okay. So we haven't talked about this person in a while and I am glad for it. So this feels a little bit icky to report on, but unfortunately we need to. So Prince Andrew, so a woman who said she was a victim of Jeffrey Epstein alleged in a 2016 deposition, of course, all the Epstein documents have become public since our last episode. That's why we're talking about this now. Um, Anyway, in this 2016 deposition that Prince Andrew groped her breast at Epstein's New York City home in 2001, according to court filings that were unsealed last Wednesday, so a week ago, these documents stem from the lawsuit filed in 2015 by Virginia Jufri and Johannes Schoberg said Andrew placed his hand on her breast while posing for a group photo with Jufri, Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, and I cannot make this stuff up, a puppet-bearing Andrew's likeness. Okay. Um, I hate this story. So, I mean, not all of, all of these things and Andrew is just, in addition to being, he's hasn't been convicted, but in addition to being whatever he is, he's also, it's just kind of weird. Like all the, all the doll or the, whatever the puppets, whatever they were, the mm-hmm. stuffed animals in the, in Buckingham palace. And now this puppet anyway. So Andrew, of course, repeatedly denies any wrongdoing. He's never been convicted. So we need to be cognizant of that, but regardless, there's that, um, kind of all feels gross coming out of my mouth, but we would be asleep at the wheel if we didn't report on it. So, and that's honestly the only thing that's it for the Royal rundown. So that's what happens when William and Kate are on, um, are on holiday, uh, by the well, way, you being out of the country, it's really quick mention that I don't really, I have not investigated why they're there because things have been so busy, but Zara and Mike are in Australia right now. And Anne's about to go to Sri Lanka. So yes. I think I saw Zara and Mike are at, I know they're at some like horse races, I think. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, Rachel, you know what I always say when the British Royals are away, other Royals around the world will play. (laughs) Yeah. So we got a lot to talk about (laughs) with Royals around the world. That's, that's the lion's share of this episode. Well, I'm really excited that we have a baby announcement on today's episode, and this time it is coming out of Luxembourg. So this morning I was scrolling online and I saw the news, which was shared by Grand Duchess Maria Theresa, and she posted the announcement from her son, Prince Felix, and his wife, Princess Claire. They shared that they had a little boy that they've named Prince Balthazar Felix Carl. And he was born on Sunday, January 7th. He is their third child. They also have another son named Prince Liam and a daughter named Princess Amalia. And they shared that mom and baby are both in perfect health. So 
A little fun fact, Prince Balthazar is the seventh grandchild of Grand Duke Henri and Grand Duchess Maria Theresa of Luxembourg, and he is also seventh in the line of succession. So his dad, Prince Felix, is the second son of the Grand Duke and Duchess, and it's fourth in line of succession, just to give you a little bit of context there around. I want to jump in here for one second, just one quick second. First of all, this is the first royal baby of the year, and second of all, Claire, Princess Claire, had, that's the wedding dress that I always talk about from Luxembourg. She had one of the most beautiful wedding dresses I've ever seen. Go check that out. Yes. Don't know what that looks like, listeners. I do remember you talking about that. I'm so, with it. and as a reminder, we just recently shared another baby announcement from Luxembourg. So I don't want to confuse anybody. That news was for a baby on the way. And that was from Princess Alexandra and her husband, Nicholas Baggery. So Princess Alexandra is the only daughter of the Grand Duke and Duchess. And we're still waiting for her baby's arrival, which is expected to be sometime this spring. So pretty soon. And that'll make the eighth grandchild. So it's a pretty big year for royal babies in Luxembourg. Yes, that's exciting. Another fun fact I found pretty interesting since we're talking about Princess Claire. So she is, she's 38. She met her husband, Prince Felix, when she was attending school in Switzerland. But before that, did you know that she lived in the USA for a little while? I did not, but there are so many royals who end up in the in the United States somehow that that doesn't surprise me. Well, the cool thing about this is she didn't live just anywhere in the USA. She was down south in my home state of Georgia. Really? So when she was just 11, yeah, her family moved to Atlanta and they were only there for about three years before they relocated back to Germany where she was born. But while she was there, she went to school at the Atlanta International School. And another little fun fact, she, after college, uh, she worked for Condé Nast Publications in New York and Munich. So a lot of fun facts about her, but I just thought it was kind of cool that she lived in Atlanta for a little while. Yeah, and she, I mean, obviously I, I know that her wedding dress is beautiful, but I've never really done a deep dive on her. She's way more, in, I mean, not that I didn't think she was interesting, but she's incredibly interesting in a Southern connection. I love it. Yeah, definitely. So real quick. Jumping over to Denmark, January 14th and Queen Margrethe of Denmark's abdication is really, really quickly approaching, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These few Less weeks than are a going week. by fast. Um, so last Wednesday, she stepped out at Christianborg Palace to meet diplomatic corps during the New Year reception. And she said that this will be the last time I am your host. I wish you all a good year even though there are dark clouds over many parts of the world. And that was a quote from her. And then Crown Prince Frederick and Crown Princess Mary, the soon-to-be king and queen, were also there. And then that Thursday, Queen Margrethe traveled through the snow in Copenhagen from Amelienborg Palace to Christiansborg Palace for a New Year's reception. And she rode in the Danish Royal House's gold coach. Despite freezing temperatures... Thousands of people were there in the street to cheer for the queen along her route. So, I mean, I think that just really speaks to how well-loved she is. I mean, I I don't know many people that would want to go stand out in the snow to see someone come by. She did serve 52 years, and I think that Denmark is in shock over this. So um, I think she means a lot to them, just as Queen Elizabeth meant to the UK. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Well, I have one more story for today's Royals Around the World. Princess Leonor of Spain had a big day over the weekend. So for the first time, she attended Pascua Militar. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I will say in English, it means military Easter. Mm. And this event recognizes the start of the military new year. It's an annual event held on January 6th in Madrid at the Royal Palace's throne room. And Princess Leonor was there. She was dressed in full military uniform. And she was, of course, accompanied by her parents, King Philippe and Queen Letizia. And this, you know, her appearance and attendance here, of course, is part of her royal duties. You guys will remember that she is currently completing her military training program, which is a three-year program. Mm -hmm. um, so she was there in, in that role. But um, yeah, a big first for her. Awesome. Well, we're going to hear in just a second about how a lot of, just like Leonor is, a lot of the heirs to different thrones are female, first of all, and they're in military school, which I find is awesome. So, so we're going to move into our final segment, short episode today. Um, sometimes that's needed. I know our episode last week was super long, but um, Royal Potpourri, this is the second week of this segment for me. And so I was originally going to talk about how the future is female when it comes to royals around the world. Of course, Queen Margaret abdicating means we have no more Queen Regnants, which I don't like. But the good news is, is that in the next generation of heirs, it's so predominantly female. But then as I was doing my research for that segment, I noticed that there have been so many more abdications recent abdications then I had any idea. And I thought that you listeners and you, Jessica would like to know about this. So obviously all anyone can talk about right now in the Royals around the world stratosphere is Queen Margaret's abdication. It's one, it might end up being probably will be one of the biggest Royal stories of the year. As Jessica just said, that will take place on Sunday. So I did a little research and was pretty amazed to find that though abdication is very rare in the Royal family of Denmark, there's not actually been an abdication in that house in almost 900 years. Wow. Recent, yeah, recent abdications in royal families around the world is actually quite common in the last decade, like as in really common. So let's talk about that first. So on July 3rd, 2013, King Albert II of Belgium, Sandy, here's your royal family of Belgium for you, just pointing <laughs> that out, um, at the, their first at that, attended a midday session of the Belgian cabinet where he announced that on July 21st, which is Belgian National Day, he would abdicate the throne in favor of his son, Philippe, for health reasons. So Albert was shockingly the fourth monarch, the fourth monarch to abdicate in 2013 alone. Following Pope Benedict, Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands, who we'll talk about in just a moment, and Emir Hamad bin Khalifa of Qatar. So Albert was the second Belgian monarch to abdicate following his father, Leopold III, who abdicated in 1951, although under entirely different circumstances. It, you can look into it. It's geopolitical and complex, but that's a whole other podcast. But back to Albert. So the timing of his abdication was interesting considering that it came not long after Belgian sculptor Delphine Boll started a campaign to prove that Albert was her father, and then he quit. So you draw your own conclusions there. Albert is still alive, by the way. He is 89 years old today, and his style is His Majesty King Albert II. 
And so many current monarchs are on the throne right now, thanks to their parents abdicating. Soon to be King Frederick of Denmark, of course, but also King Philippe of Belgium, as we just said. Also King Willem Alexander of the Netherlands, whose mother, Queen Beatrix, also abdicated the throne in 2013, April 30th, to be exact. April 30th is Queen's Day in the Netherlands, so it always seems that these abdications happen on a special day like that, like Queen Margrethe's it's her anniversary of, of ascending to the throne. Beatrix abdicated when she was 75, which at the time was the oldest reigning monarch in the Netherlands history. So unlike Margrethe, who announced she would abdicate just two weeks before it happened, Beatrix denounced on January 28th, 2013, that this was her intention, giving the country three months to prepare. So April 30th was her 33rd anniversary. A lot of threes going on there. 30th, 2013, 33rd anniversary of her ascending to the throne, she cited that it was time to place the responsibility for the country in the hands of a new generation, her son, Willem Alexander. So she was the third, six, third successive, third, like abdications are so much more common than yeah. I ever thought. Third successive Dutch monarch to abdicate following her grandmother and her mother, which also look at that female line of succession there. Today, Beatrix is still living. She's 85, and she continues to undertake some royal duties and is patron of many organizations. So when Margrethe abdicates, she's got some examples in Beatrix and Albert of how to do this because they've well, both been abdicated for 10 years, I guess, or 11 years almost. Let me ask you, do you think it really makes a big difference as to how much heads up you give your country? What do you think? Like, do you think two weeks is is short? Should it be more like several months in advance or does it make a difference? I don't know. And I, I just think that it probably worked out that way for Beatrix because she wanted to do it on April 30th. I don't know why she announced that early, but Albert only gave two weeks. Margaret, I mean, you know, is it better to just rip the bandaid, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. just go ahead and, or or draw it out. And we're, we're going to talk about a Japanese abdication in just a second where because Margrethe's abdication is pretty under the radar. Like they're not doing any major ceremonies for her or anything, but when we get to the Japanese Royal family, they went crazy over the new reign coming in. And that was going to be actually a point that I was going to make. I think maybe it's probably better to give really short notice unless you are having some, pomp and ceremony around events related to, you know, a new coronation or an abdication so that you can give your country time to prepare maybe for a lot of tourists coming in and, you know, hosting these different events in different cities. I think the heads up is, is helpful in that case, but otherwise I don't know that it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, with Denmark, I mean, why, I guess, why wait? She's ready and her anniversary is approaching and so why wait but the next year in 2014 king juan carlos of spain announced his intention to abdicate on june 2nd of that year in favor of his son philippe who ascended the throne 17 days later so there's another example of not very long on june 19th the stroke of midnight so upon his accession he became at 46 this is philippe the youngest monarch in europe nine months younger than willem alexander who had obviously just the year prior taken the throne Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos is a little bit more complicated than, than Beatrix's story. Um, he cited personal reasons for his abdication. He has lived in self-imposed exile from Spain over allegedly improper ties to business deals in Saudi Arabia. 
since his abdication, he's been referred to as Rey Emerito or King Emeritus. And on the morning of June 2nd of 2014, Prime Minister Mariana Rajoy made a televised announcement that the king had told him he planned to abdicate. I wonder if like Juan Carlos knew he was going to do that or if he just did it. That was not really made clear, but hopefully... Uh, the prime minister told the king before he just told every the world. Um, and then Juan Carlos actually delivered a televised address of his own later on. So I mentioned this on a previous episode, but in his abdication, Juan Carlos called, I think this is so funny, kind of, it's kind of mean, but Juan Carlos called out Prince Charles, of course, of the UK and said of Philippe that we do not want my son to wither waiting like Prince Charles. So that's ouch on that. Um, anyway, so Juan Carlos still led a public life until June 2nd of 2019, which is actually exactly five years after the abdication, when he told Philippe of his intention to retire from public life. So you can jump in with any thoughts on, on this at any point. I just like, I, yeah. I found this so interesting. I did not know any of this really. Um, I mean, I feel like I've heard it, you know, in, in reading and researching other royal families at, at different times. I don't think we've ever looked at it all together like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because it is more common for our European royals and they don't do the big coronation ceremonies. And honestly, I don't think that we'll see Charles abdicate, but I actually don't have a problem with this. I kind of like it. Um, I, I think, you know, it gives an opportunity for a monarch to lead their country for a long period of time and then pass it on without any, um, you know, stress or, you know, because think about how difficult it is for the family to have to take on taking over the throne while also, you know, mourning the loss of, yeah. of a loved one. I mean, that's a lot. It's, it's a lot to take on. It's almost and, cruel, you know, because like you're right. mourning your parent that you love supposedly or hopefully, and you're also starting the biggest job of your life. I've always thought it was so cruel. I think it is really, really thoughtful for monarchs to abdicate when they reach a certain age and it gives them an opportunity in their golden years to, like I said last time, just be a grandmother or, mm -hmm. um, you know, a mother or a father and, um, and enjoy the family and, and do those things that they really love. So I yeah. kind of like it. Well, also, you know, I was, I've thought about this a lot since I said it last week, I think Margrethe is what, 83 what other job do you know when someone's 83 and and people are upset at them for retiring? I mean, I like <laughs> I I get what you're saying, Jessica. And also, you know, when you when you, I mean, I don't know this personally. Obviously, I've never ascended to the throne, but anybody that takes over a new job, sometimes you really want to talk to the pre your predecessor because there's things like you can be trained all day long, but there's going to be something that slips through the cracks and having a parent there that's done this to be able to turn to and ask for advice or ask questions. That's pretty valuable. I mean, I'm sure that King Charles many times this past year and a half has, you know, for many reasons, obviously wanted to call his mom, but like for just pure work stuff and say, how did you do this? And that's obviously not possible. So, um, it's, it, this, it's very interesting. And so I know we've been talking a lot about European royals. I want to jump over to Asia and talk about Japan. So Japan's current emperor is Naruhito. He too, like I just, I never knew that it was so prevalent. He too ascended to the throne because of the abdication of his parent. 
Emperor Akihito abdicated in 2019, citing advanced age and declining health. Akihito is still living, just like uh, Beatrix and just like Albert. He just turned 90, and he is the longest-lived Japanese emperor in recorded history. He is referred to as Emperor Emeritus. He reigned for 30 years, and his abdication marked the end of the Heisei era. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And the inception of the Reiwa era, and is one of the most elaborate abdications ever. Numerous festivities, listeners. If you're interested, look it up. It's wild. They, I, I appreciate the the Japanese approach of celebrating because I mean he did serve for it was like it's kind of like a jubilee kind of, mm-hmm. um, except you know is kind of like a retirement party. And um, Naruhito's enthronement ceremony, by the way, cost a staggering sixteen point six billion. Yes, that is billion with a B yen. So. <laughs> They threw a party. They really, they threw a heck of a party. And finally, on this abdication front, I want to mention Monaco. So though Prince Albert's father, Prince Rainier, died on the throne, I think back in 2005, his mother, so Rainier's mother, abdicated in favor of Rainier on May 30th, 1944, which was the day before Rainier's 21st birthday. So I had absolutely no idea that abdication was so common in royal households. I'm a lifelong learner here, never claimed to be a royal expert. I am not a fan of the fact that through Margaret's abdication, we now, as I've said a hundred times, have no more queen regnants globally, but moving into the second part of royal potpourri, the future is female when it comes to royals around the world. So yes, royal families around the world may be helmed by a boys club right now, but that will not last. So Sweden, Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, and Norway all have heir parents that are women. So when it comes to the global royal landscape, the future is very, very female. We talk about these women on the show all the time, but never really together in one place. So I want to introduce or reintroduce you to the future female monarchs of the world. You ready for this, Jessica? I'm ready. So we talk about Crown Princess Victoria a lot of Sweden uh, she is 46 years old and she's the eldest of King Carl Gustav and Queen Sylvia's three children. I've said this before in a deep dive about the Swedish royal family, but I still think it's so interesting and worth repeating. So she was the first born. Carl Phillips born second. After he was born in 1979, she got bumped down behind him in the line of succession because he, of course, is male until Sweden changed its constitution. So the birth order determined the line of succession, regardless of gender. This is called absolute primogeniture. And this change was effective on January 1st, 1980, once again, making Victoria the heir apparent after seven months as number two. Imagine, I mean, Carl Philip wasn't aware of this. He was less than one year old, but imagine being the heir to the throne and then, oops, nope, no, you're not. Um, and actually, most of the women that we're going to talk about in this segment will be on the throne thanks to absolute primogeniture excuse me just like what happened in sweden so when victoria takes the throne she will be sweden's fourth queen regnant and it but it's first since 1720 it's been a while so of these group of future queen regnants victoria is so far the only one that is a wife and a mother she married her personal trainer i might add daniel wesling in 2010 and they have two children so Any thoughts on this? I want you to jump in as you wish. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Sweden before. You know, I think it's good to do a recap and we may have some new listeners that haven't heard us do this before. Um, All of the the ladies that we're going to talk about today have pretty cool stories and Mm -hmm. they've already shown themselves to be great leaders. So it's kind of exciting Mm -hmm. to see 
what, um, what we'll see from them in the future. Yeah. And we've talked about them, of course, in bits and pieces, but never all together. And so I think that is interesting as well. So next up is Princess Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I can't speak and that Elizabeth is my middle name. So I should be able to say that um, of Belgium. So she is 22. So there's a big age gap between Victoria and then the rest of the heir parents. They're all kind of around like 19 to 22 years old. So Elizabeth is 22. She's the eldest of King Philippe and Queen Mathilde's four children. She became Duchess of Braben and heir to the throne in 2013 after her grandfather, King Albert, abdicated. We just talked about that. After taking part in her first royal engagement at just five years old in 2006, she gave her first public speech in Dutch in 2011 when she was only nine. She, as I mentioned before, undertook military training for her future role as queen. And in August 2020, she entered the Royal Military Academy in Brussels, studying social and military sciences. She swore the officer's oath in September 2023. I'm sure we talked about that at the time being commissioned. And I know we talked about that at the time being commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Belgian army. So she is studying history and politics at Lincoln College, Oxford. She rose crew under the name Elizabeth de Saxe Coburg. She speaks, all of these women speak multiple languages. Elizabeth speaks Dutch, French, German, and English. She's taking classes in Mandarin Chinese. And causes that are important to her are children with learning difficulties, the elderly, the homeless, and the disabled. And she's an impressive young woman, and she's only 22 years old. So you any thoughts on Elizabeth? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have seen a little bit from her. We don't, like you said, like you were telling Sandy, we don't necessarily report a whole lot on Belgium just because we don't have tons and tons of big news coming out um, from them. But I really enjoyed seeing her at Crown Prince. Christian of mm-hmm. Denmark's birthday party this year. I thought that was really fun just to kind of see all the Royal connections. And, um, I don't know. I, I think, um, I think she'll be an interesting one to watch as well. That's weird to hear you call him crown prince Christian. That's, that's weird. Cause he is. <laughs> so I mean, are- well, technically, I mean, he, he is now he's got like five prince. days left of not being crown prince, but he's crown prince Christian. Okay. So we talk, we love Katharina Amalia of the Netherlands over here. She's 20. She's so young. I don't know why she comes across to me as so much more mature than that, but she's only 20 years old. So she became first in line to the throne when her father, King William Alexander ascended in 2013. She was only nine when that happened. She is the eldest of William Alexander and Queen Maxima's three daughters. And Catherine Amalia is the first Princess of Orange in her own right. So Prince or Princess of Orange is the title given to the heir to the throne in the Netherlands, kind of like um, Princess of Asturias is Spain. We'll get to Leonor in a second. But Catherine Amalia, we reported on this. We kind of became obsessed with this story a little bit on this show. She made headlines in June 2021 when she announced her refusal to accept her 1.6 million annual income as it made her uncomfortable that she hadn't done anything to earn it yet, which we think is awesome. And but I don't know if the other heirs think it's awesome because now they're all having to turn down there. Well, they don't have to, but they're turning down their payouts because of the same reason. She is currently studying politics, psychology, law, and economics, God, staying busy, at the University of Amsterdam. And in addition to speaking Dutch, English, and Spanish, she too has taken classes in Mandarin Chinese. So there's a lot of, um, like, I know she's had some security issues at college. 
Um, she and Elizabeth actually are close and I really like this, this young Royal Catherine Amalia. Yeah. She's been really interesting to watch as she's gotten older and more, um, I guess, independent as an adult and just seeing some of the choices that she's made. And, you know, we, I mean, we talked a lot too about some of the challenges she's gone through. Yeah, she's gone through a lot. And, you know, having to um, do some of her classes remote um, just because of dangers on campus. And so um, I don't know, she, you know, she seems to really carry herself well and make great choices. And so she, she's just fun to watch. She is. She's one of my favorites. And of the five women that we're talking about in the future is female segment. The one we talked the least about for no reason other than she's just more low key is princess Ingrid Alexandra of Norway. So after her birth in 2004, the already popular Norwegian Royal family experienced a surge in popularity, likely because Ingrid, who is 19 now will one day become the country's only second female monarch. And it's first get this since the 15th century. So it's been even longer than in Sweden or Norway. Ingrid is the eldest child of crown prince Hakon and crown princess met merit and the grandchild of King Harold, who is currently on the throne. She has a younger brother, Prince Sphere. Am I saying that right, Jessica? You know how to say that. Sphere Magnus. Sphere Magnus. Him the yeah. other week. Okay. Who she ranks above in the line of succession again, thanks to the implementation of absolute primogeniture in Norway back in 1990. So that would have been 14 years before she was born. This year, she is expected to undertake military training for 12 months at the Engineer Battalion in Brigade Nord. So we don't really talk about Ingrid Alexandra that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, with the royals around the world, we try to report on them as much as we can when we see news stories coming out, but they Mm -hmm. are smaller countries. And so, um, and, you know, this podcast did start as a British royal podcast, and I know most of our listeners are really interested in the British family. So we try to balance both, but um, I love how we balance both. I think it, I think it's fun. I, I've become just as interested in these other royal families as I am in the British so um yeah definitely and I hope our listeners are as well and and like I said we do try to balance it um we don't always get as much news out of out of some of these families just because you know we get a lot of British news here in the Mm -hmm. U.S. but um Mm -hmm. you know we still try to make sure we we report on them as much as we can yeah, if they ever have a news story, we're going to report on it, especially big news like the Jordanian royal wedding or um, Margrethe's abdication. But finally, as we close up this segment and actually this episode, we're going to talk about the fifth and final heir apparent that is female, and that is the aforementioned Princess Leonor of Spain. She is 18, and she is the eldest of two daughters born to King Philippe and Queen Letitia. She became first in line to the throne following the abdication of her grandfather, King Juan Carlos, in 2014, as we just spoke about. She was eight years old. So since then, Leonor has taken part in a lot of firsts. So she had her first public engagement in 2018 when she was 12. She had her first public speech on her 13th birthday that same year, her first public solo engagement in 2021, and then she took her first international trip without her parents in 2022. This past September, Leonor took the heir's oath, officially declaring her as next in line to the throne. We covered that. And during which she swore allegiance to the Spanish constitution. So as I said before, 
the Spanish heir is known as the Prince or Princess of Asturias. And in August, Leonor joined the General Military Academy to start her three-year military education. She's currently an officer cadet in the General Spanish Military Academy. She is fluent in Spanish and English. She too has studied Mandarin Chinese. And when she ascends to the throne, she will be Spain's first queen regnant since the mid 1800s. Wow. yeah. So lots of, lots of time has passed for a lot of these countries since they've had a female monarch. And so originally I was just going to talk about those five women who are the future of global royals, but then I just uncovered this abdication thing. And so I'm sorry, that was a little long, but I just had to throw that in there. Cause it's just so fascinating, but that is week two of Royal Potpourri. So that's all I got for you today. I think that wraps up our episode. Um, oh. We will be back next week with more news. I think like you said, Rachel, we'll probably have more from our British Royals next week as they get back to work and school. Um, But in the meantime, please listeners reach out. Uh, Let me know what your favorite Cadbury bar is. Mm. I would love to hear that. Let us know if you have any thoughts on um, our Queen Margaret abdicating and um, we actually, oh, you know what? We got I did a poll on Spotify and I said I was going to share the replies, um, Rachel, on here. So let me, let me share. I did share some on Instagram, but I'll give an updated, um, an updated response to our, our poll. So I asked, should the British Royals continue the tradition of the coronation ceremonies or no longer have them like other monarchs have stopped doing? And 75% of people said, continue to have them. Mm. So we had um, only 4% said no longer have them, 8% said undecided, and 13 said indifferent. So 75%, they like the pomp and ceremony. They like the tradition of the coronation. So I guess you have your answer on that. I'm going to fall into that 75%. I agree. Keep it. <laughs> yeah, I agree as well. All right. So I had another fun episode with you, Rachel. Thanks you for hanging too. out. Yeah. Um, Thank you, listeners, and we'll chat with you again next week. But in the meantime, come follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. If you have questions or thoughts, you can always send us a DM on Instagram, or you can email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And thanks for tuning in to episode 121 of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye. Thank you.